How many of you guys have been learning something as we go through these historic revivals? Well, we're actually going to be getting more into our time now as we're going to be looking at the 60s, 70s, and 80s revivals. So let's go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your awesome presence here tonight. And Lord, we just thank you for the word of the Lord that you're bringing in this place. And Lord, help us to have eyes and ears of the Spirit. Let your Holy Spirit, we thank you for your Holy Spirit moving upon all of us and helping us to be good soil, that our eyes are anointed to see, our ears anointed to hear, and the word will go out as living seeds of truth, sown in that good soil, watered by the Spirit, and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. We thank you, Lord, for the wind of your Spirit carrying this out among the nations, and Lord, we declare the word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we thank you, Lord, for everything being said and everything accomplished in and through this time, that's your will to be done. We believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to try quickly to get into the 80s revivals, uh, revival rather, but I'm going to build up to it. So just like last week, I talked about how through history, remember as we look back at this from about mid-1700s or so, there was a move of the Lord that started with people like Jonathan Edwards and, and uh, the Wesley brothers and Whitfield, etc. And that was the first awakening, went to the second, which was like Cambridge to the third, which was the 1857 through 59 revival with Jeremiah Lampier and prayer. So there was around 100 years that God really moved. It was actually longer than that, probably about 125 years that God poured out his spirit, okay? Then it shifted. And just like you leave the outer court, you go into the holy place, it shifted there, where from at Azusa Street, which really before that, you had like Alexander Dowie, you had the Topeka revival, where the Baptist Holy Spirit broke out, then into Azusa. But those early 1900 time frame, all the way through the 80s, 1980s, we had about 100 years where God poured out his spirit in a greater dimension. So we still had the move of God for souls, but now God added to that the clothing of power, okay, the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And then in the 1990s, God shifted gears and we began to move into the Holy of Holies, and that had to do with the glory coming in so strong. And so it was probably the first, first wave was probably about 125 years. The next wave was around 100 and I suspect that this wave that has begun is going to be shorter than the other two because we don't have a lot of time until Jesus comes, amen? So that began in the, this new wave really began in the very late 80s and carried over until probably about 2005. But there's always been kind of an ebb and a flow with these moves of God. Well, in the same way, it's really interesting, there's patterns in this you see the same pattern in the feasts of the Lord. And I don't have time to teach on the feasts, but the feasts are a pattern that has to do with the harvest. And so the, the Passover time frame is the barley harvest. And then later you have Pentecost, which is the wheat harvest. And then later you have the fall feast, which are like the, the nuts and the fruits and the grapes and the olives and all of that. But there's three different, every year, three different harvest cycles. And what does Passover speak of? Just like that first wave that God poured out was all about salvation, Passover speaks about what? They came out by the blood of the Lamb through the waters of immersion of the Red Sea. They, it was a picture and type of salvation. Just like when Jesus died on the cross, there was blood and water. And just like the outer court, you, what do you see? You see the blood of the bronze altar and the water of the laver. And so Jesus' blood and water came out of his side, and it was just like a, a, at a birth. The water breaks, there's blood and water. Anytime there's a birth, and Jesus bled out of his rib cage, a rib he was paying for uh, a bride. Isn't that awesome? So that first wave is like Passover. It's that early time 
where there's, there's a harvest. And the Lord said in the last days he had poured out his spirit. This has been going on for a couple hundred years. So that first wave had to do primarily with salvation. It was, it was all about uh, among the Presbyterians and the Baptists and then the Methodists formed out of that. Then after a hundred years of that, then you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that has to do with the baptism in the Holy Ghost. So once you leave Passover, where did the children of Israel go? They went where? To Sinai, where they had their Pentecostal experience, okay? And that was also uh, 1,500 years later, God poured out his Spirit on what? The day of Pentecost. And so you see the harvest cycles move from Passover to Pentecost. And Pentecost has to do with the power of God coming down. And so we see that as the second harvest cycle. And then the third has to do with what? The coming of the Lord. The fall feast are the feasts that speak of Jesus' second coming. The spring feasts speak of his first. And so you have what? The feast of trumpets, which is the rapture. You have Yom Kippur, the atonement, which is the days of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation. Then you have the Feast of Tabernacles where the Lord comes to the tabernacle for a thousand years on the earth. And so when we move now into these, the very last of the last of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it has to do with the glory of God. We've moved from just the holy place now into the Holy of Holies, and that's the fall feast. And that's where we're at in this cycle. So isn't this interesting? You can even see it in the feasts. And I'll tell you something else. You can see it in the priestly garments as well because the priest had a layer of white, which is like the garment of salvation, the garments, plural of salvation, the turban, the robe, the breeches, and the sash. But on top of the white, they had a blue tunic. And blue speaks from coming down from heaven out of the sky and it's a clothing of a blue tunic that has bells and pomegranates at the bottom and on that blue tunic is a golden ephod that's like a, a vest it's attached at the shoulder pieces and you know what that speaks of that speaks of moving beyond just a salvation experience to being clothed with power from on high the baptism in the holy ghost where the bells and pomegranates have to do with the fruit and the gifts and it's both the blue, which is the power, and the gold ephod, which is the glory. And the breast piece, you know what those speak of? Or the shoulder pieces? We're supposed to be carriers of the power and the glory everywhere we go. Isn't that awesome? And so the priest is to minister in the outer court area was one thing. That's where the Levites primarily were. And they did a lot of stuff there. But to go into the holy place... The priest could not get in there without having that blue tunic on with the golden ephod. It spoke of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And to move into that holy place, to go deeper in God, there needed to be a baptism in the Holy Ghost. How many have could say honestly, Pastor, since I've been baptized in the Holy Ghost, I know that I've gone deeper in God than I ever have. I'll get into this later. This is in my sermon later, but you can't, there's dimensions of prayer that you're never really going to be able to move into without the baptism in the Holy Ghost and tongues. It's just the way it is. And so God has been moving in greater dimension, and it's just like going from Passover to Pentecost like a Susa, and then in the last days, tabernacles in the glory. God has been progressively increasing. And it's interesting because in the tabernacle, you also see the outer court is big, the holy place is smaller, and the holy of holies is even smaller. And you see there was around 125 years of one wave, less than 100 of the second, and I believe probably not more than probably 50 in the last because it's, we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord. And it's the fall feasts that speak about his coming. You know, when we got into the 90s revivals, that was what everybody was feeling, the, the nearness of the coming of the Lord. All right. So as we, we looked at last week, well, the last several weeks, we've been looking at the revivals of the 40s and 50s. So what began in Topeka and Azusa, there was an ebb and a flow and it upsurged in the 40s and 50s, and it's the baptism in the Holy Ghost power. Tongues, the gifts, the baptism in the Holy Ghost to see healings and miracles and deliverances and the power of God. 
and the, there was like an ebb and a flow. As this revival moved into the 60s, you saw that that was still there. A.A. A. Allen was still ministering until I think around the mid-60s. And you, you had different ministries that were coming up, but there was an upsurge of revival in the 60s that had to do with what was called the Jesus Movement. And it was a tremendous revival. Began really with Lonnie Frisbee out there in California, but there was all these younger generation that were getting saved. And there were so many people getting saved. It was such an intense move of the spirit about salvation that it even made Time Magazine. I mean, you go back and look at it. It was a powerful move of God. And I believe that it was God's response to what was going on because when we moved into the 60s, Satan's kingdom really began to amp up what he was doing in this nation. You saw an influx coming in of witchcraft and the occult. You saw a lot of sorcery, the drug use that came in a lot of nudity and a lot of free sex, um, the rise and the increase of things like pornography, prayer and the Bible removed out of schools that led into, in 73, abortion. There was a real move of the devil. In 1966, the Church of Satan formed. So there was a real move of hell. But listen, God was responding by amping up the move of the Holy Ghost. And great revivals poured out. Actually, my mother was saved in that revival in the 60s. And so from the 60s, we move on into the 70s. And I believe personally, Catherine Coleman was kind of a bridge between the 60s revival that bled over into the 70s. She died in 76 and kind of patched, passed the torch, if you will. And God began to raise up mighty men of God in the 80s, which I'm going to get to shortly. But powerful ministries began to form in the 60s and the 70s. Like, for example... Campus Crusade for Christ began to target um, the younger generation. David Wilkerson's ministry, with all that went on with that about Teen Challenge and you know, birth in that time, okay? And also, for the first time since the early church, there began to be a movement called Jews for Jesus, where, where many Jewish people were getting saved. And that was a sign of the times right there, trust me, because... For the 2,000 years since the early church, there was, it was almost completely unheard of that a Jewish person would accept the Lord. And as we've gotten into these latter days here, many Jewish people are coming to find the Messiah. Isn't that awesome? And that's a sign that Jesus is coming soon. Derek Prince and Kenneth Higgins' ministries began to really rise to power in the 60s and the 70s. And I believe really reached a zenith in the 80s and 90s. But this gave way to an incredibly important revival. I'm skipping a lot in the 60s and 70s I could probably talk about. But if you want, because sometimes people ask me things like this, Pastor Scott, I'm not a big reader. Uh, there's a lot of books to read on revival. There's a lot of different authors, and it can be kind of tedious. But some may say, Pastor Scott, I just want one book that kind of covers all of them like a cursory look at every revival, I would recommend a book called this. It's called Revival Principles to Change the World, and it's by a guy named Winky Prattney. The last name Prattney is P-R-A-T-N-E-Y. That book was written out of the Brownsville Revival. He also collaborated with Steve Hill and others to produce a Bible called the Revival Bible, and it has also a lot in it of these historic revivals, like little clips and teachings in it. So Winky Prattney, what happened was in the Brownsville Revival, Steve Hill began to talk so much about these historic revivals that people were writing in and they were asking, can you give us some reference material? And so over time, the Bible school formed there and Steve, along with others, began to talk about how can we put something together and so Winky Prattney wrote that book that I mentioned, and then they put together a revival Bible. And it's good. I have it. It's, it's got a lot of good references in it. So if you're interested on your own, those are good resources to have, especially that book I mentioned because it covers all the revivals in a condensed form, and it's easy to understand, okay? But I want to move into primarily the 80s. God began to really raise up powerful ministries in the 80s 
that that revival laid the groundwork for the end time, uh, what happened in the 90s and on, that end time move of the spirit of going deep into the glory. God knew that we were going to be dealing with intense spiritual warfare like we've never seen before. He knew that the devil would know his time is short. A lot of activity was going to be going on and that we needed to have some good teaching. And so God raised up some powerful men and women of God. I probably should have put Larry Lee's book, um, Could You Not Tarry One Hour, was probably one of the best books ever written on prayer. But one of the people that's a great blessing to me that God raised up in the 70s and 80s was Kenneth Hagin Sr. And Kenneth Hagin Sr. really was used of God to bring revelation about faith and healing. But he taught on a lot of other subjects that were a blessing as well. One of the subjects that really helped me was the believer's authority. And he began to teach and help the body of Christ understand that you have authority over the devil. That was a relatively new thing for people to understand. These guys were pioneers. And Kenneth Hagin, in my opinion, was not just a great teacher, but he was an apostle, and he also operated very powerfully as a prophet. He got divine revelation that was incredibly accurate and powerful. But Kenneth Hagin would teach... But his ministry was accompanied with signs and wonders. Saw so a lot of people healed. A lot of people delivered from the demonic and the power of God was awesome. You can go back and watch videos well, well before there was Rodney Howard Brown revivals where Kenneth Hagin saw outpourings of the Holy Spirit in his meetings where people were laughing and drunk in the spirit everywhere. So his meetings were very powerful. Some of the books I read that really impacted me, if people are interested on their own, there was a Bible faith study course, and it's a workbook that you could get. And I got that, and I began to really study that. If you study it slowly, take notes, and really meditate on it, it'll change your life. The same, some of the same teaching was in a book he wrote about when faith is weak and victory seems lost or something to that effect. Excellent book, life-changing, but... I'll get to this in a moment. These teachings not only laid a groundwork in my life that to, to understand these principles, but I really believe that, I'll get to it in a moment, but I believe that they sustained me through some dark times. Another thing he put out, his ministry, I think after he passed, there was some classic sermons on faith and classic sermons on healing that they put together on CD and you can still get those, but I listened to those a lot and really got that in my spirit. But he helped us understand that we have authority. He helped us understand what Jesus paid for on the cross, and he helped us understand how to live by faith. And I'm going to tell you, faith will carry you through every area of life, and it is applicable to every aspect of life, not just healing. People always think about physical healing. Well, what about other needs that you have in life, like provision? Or what about if your marriage needs to be fixed? Or what about if your kids are wayward? What about all these other things where you need a job or something? Faith, if you know how to live by faith and how to use your faith, it is important in every area of life. And so he was used of God to really help us understand that. God also raised up Derek Prince. And you can go back and listen to his sermons and some of his meetings where he had the power of God come in. I mean, people delivered from things. Now, Derek's ministry saw healings, and he taught on every subject you could imagine. If somebody said to me, Pastor Scott, I'm, I'm watching a lot of things, listening to a lot of things out there, and to be honest... There's not a, a lot of good teaching out there anymore like there used to be. I would encourage you that if you're looking for some really solid teaching, Derek Prince is a really great teacher. And everything he's ever taught has been a great blessing to me. He covers every subject you could imagine. But what he was known for was for the deliverance ministry. And he was a pioneer. God spoke to him in the 70s that he, God said, I'm waging war against witchcraft. It has my people bound, and I'm going to liberate them. 
and God began to teach Derek about uh, what witchcraft is, began to teach him about curses, began to teach him about the deliverance ministry. And as he began to minister in that realm, I mean, people were set free. You can watch videos on YouTube where he's praying from the pulpit and you can hear the shrieks as people are getting delivered. It's awesome. And so his ministry was known for, for two subjects. The book called Blessings and Curses, You Can Choose. And then the second one, They Shall Expel Demons. Those were the two books that were like pioneer teaching that every deliverance ministry has referred back to those, okay? So those are very solid. I remember Steve Hill told me this. He said when he met with Leonard Ravenhill and spent time with him, Leonard told him, if you really want to go deep, you're going to have to go back. And we're living in a time that that's true. Um, I'm not saying this in a critical way at all. But I think everybody that listens to my ministry and has been following us already knows this. But there's a lot of shallow stuff and watered, watered down stuff out there, isn't there? You know it and I know it. If you really want to go deep, you're going to have to go back a little bit. But you, Derek Prince's ministry has an app, and I've listened to a lot of his sermons, and my wife has, and read his books. It'll really be a blessing to you. But Derek helped teach me about the deliverance ministry, began to teach me about spiritual warfare and how to get the victory over these things, and really taught me about generational curses. That's where it all began in my life, where I understood that was from Derek Prince. That was the first person that laid the groundwork in my life. Another person that ministered to me out of the 80s revival was Dr. Cho. I love Dr. Cho. Again, he has books on every subject. He taught on every subject. All of his teachings were outstanding. His book called The Apocalyptic Prophecy is probably the best book ever written on understanding Daniel and Revelation for church members that has ever been written in my opinion. He wrote about the Holy Spirit, my senior partner. Probably one of the best books about the Holy Spirit I've ever read. But of all things that Dr. Cho taught, prayer was his forte and probably his area of expertise and most powerful teachings had to do with prayer. If you want to learn how to be a prayer warrior, I encourage you to get Dr. Cho's books on prayer. Prayer that brings, prayer that brings revival, you can go on YouTube and find some of his teachings on prayer. It'll change your life. Another person God really used in my life big time was Dick Rubin. Now, unfortunately, all these men that I'm mentioning have passed away now. But Dick Rubin traveled. God saved him. He was like a biker. And he was Jewish. He got saved. And he began to connect with Rock of Israel Ministries, which is a Jewish ministry. It's messianic. And he began to travel and minister in churches. And God really connected him with uh, John Kilpatrick at the Brownsville Revival well, well before the revival broke out. And Dick Rubin began to bring into that church there teachings about the tabernacle and the priesthood. And he taught it this way. You can still get these. If the pattern's right, the glory will fall. And he began to teach them about the patterns of getting into the glory. It is so life-changing. Some of the best teachings, his sermon on uh, the great high priest was one of the most powerful sermons about Jesus I've ever heard. He taught on subjects like, Behold, the bridegroom comes, about end-time prophecy and the rapture and all that. That was phenomenal. But he was the one that was the very first teacher that brought to me understanding about the importance of the communion table. And I had never really understood the depth of the communion table until Dick Rubin taught on it. And it so changed my life. This was way back. I, he came, his teachings came to me back in the mid-90s. And just from that, God began to really build in my life the Hebrew roots, understanding the shofar, etc. So 
his teaching transformed my life, especially in the area of the Hebrew roots. And so during this time, what I want to emphasize is this. God was pouring out his spirit and he was bringing a lot of teaching because he knew we were going to need it. As we moved into these last days and warfare is increasing, you know, I'd went through an extremely difficult time years ago and I really felt like I was at death's door. I, I was not doing good. The enemy was really attacking me. It was bad. And I know that the groundwork laid in my life to understand about faith, understand about the communion table, spiritual warfare, how to pray, all of that that God had put in my life sustained me through it. And God knew that we were going to need this. And so all of that so impacted me, and I know it impacted the masses. God has prepared us. And in these latter days that we're living, we need to have some solid foundation in these areas that we know who we are in Christ. We know we have authority. We know how to pray. We know how to walk in faith. We know how to overcome in spiritual warfare. We know how to get the victory if we need to be set free from something. And so these teachings laid such an important groundwork in my personal life and in this ministry. And I want to pray for people. This isn't a very long sermon tonight. But that, I just want to encourage you, when you look back, that particular revival may not be one that people are going to talk a lot about in history books about revival. But the late 70s through the 80s into the early 90s, that teaching was some of the most important teaching that prepared us for these days. And I believe that there's going to be people on these last days that are going to fall away from the faith, but a lot of it has to do with they're not established in what they believe. They're not established in the word. You remember that scripture, the seed fell on rocky soil because it didn't get any roots? That. They don't have any roots. See, I've been through some stuff. But I have some roots, though. You understand? And I want to close with this, and then I want to pray for people because I believe God's really wanting to touch some people here tonight. There are three categories of gifts in the Bible. And I'm just going to kind of go for these pretty quickly. This is the way I see it, and I understand it. And I'm just going to share from my heart about this, and then you can just take it and do your own research. If maybe you see some of this a little bit different, that's, that's totally fine. But I believe when we accept Jesus as our Savior and we're born again, we're baby Christians, but we're born again. God has become our Father. Now we're in a blood covenant. There are certain giftings that God has placed in us. And those giftings are listed in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. But again, it's diverse gifts. So not everybody's going to have all these gifts, okay? But this is among people that are simply born again, and I believe these gifts come from the Father, okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says this. We have diverse gifts according to the grace that is given us. If prophecy, according to the proportion of faith, Can you shut that door for me, brother? Thank you. I feel like I'm having to yell. All right, Romans 12, 6. If prophecy according to the proportion of faith. So prophecy is a gift here. I'm going I'm to explain this as we go. But a lot of people don't understand that prophecy is not necessarily predicting the future. That's what everybody always thinks. You mention prophecy, all they think, period, is though somebody's predicting the future. That is not really what prophecy is. Prophecy is actually God-inspired speech. That means this, God is speaking through you. And that means that you, God may use somebody to prophesy that's going to expose sin. It, the prophecy may expose what the devil's up to. Prophecy may encourage somebody. Prophecy may give somebody direction. 
or confirm something. But prophecy is just simply God speaking through you. And how many knows when you accept Jesus, God can begin to speak through you to somebody. And that very well will be witnessing. Have you ever felt when you're witnessing that God just kind of took over and gave you what to say to somebody? See, that's what this is. This is just simply God speaking through you, okay? So one of the gifts the Father can give is prophecy. And it says, according to the proportion of your faith. The second is service. Some people just have a heart in the body of Christ to serve, and others don't. But the ones that have this gift of serving, every time something's going on, they're, they're, they have a heart to set up and tear down and do this and do that and try to serve. That's the gift of serving. Another from the Father is teaching. This doesn't necessarily have to do with the fivefold office of teaching at all. But this is in an area of teaching where maybe like, for example, in a Sunday school class. How many, you know, I remember a, guy, a friend of mine, Zach, as you guys know, his dad, Wally, he was somebody that taught in public school systems. He was never called into the ministry at all. But I remember we were out doing some stuff with him and he was kind of teaching us what to do. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this guy is an amazing teacher. I mean, he was just so patient, but he was so good at explaining things. So there's some people that when they accept Jesus, they're just, they have a gift to teach children, to teach youth, to teach an adult class. They just have a gift of teaching. Another one is exhortation. That means to edify. I'll tell you, John Davis has this gift. And to somebody that is an edifier will build you up and encourage you. And so we need that in the body of Christ. People that encourage others and build others up, okay? Another one is gifting, or giving rather. Some people have a gift about them. They're generous and they have a heart to be a giver. And God sees that, and if they'll be faithful with that, if they'll ask him, he can entrust them with money because he knows that they're going to give it to, for the service of the Lord, you see. But they have a heart to be a giver. And so that's in the area of giving. Another one is administration. Administration is somebody that can organize and oversee things. That a pastor, for example, is like, okay, we're going to have this event. I don't have time to organize all this, but he knows that there's certain people that he can entrust them, that they'll do a good job administrating all of that for the church. And then finally, showing mercy. There are some people that have a gift of mercy. When everybody else has given up on somebody, and maybe, maybe rightfully so to some degree, there'll be this one guy that has the gift of mercy that'll give them one more chance. You know what I'm saying? So there's these gifts. I, I personally believe that when we get saved, God distributes these gifts. The Father does. It's like a gift from the Father. And ask the Lord, what giftings do I have in me? But most likely, you probably already know because these are pretty evident in our lives usually. If you've got a heart to serve, you just want to serve. If you have a heart to be a giver, then you're a giver. If you're somebody that edifies and encourages people, if you're one that shows mercy, you'll know. All right, the second, so this is gifts from the Father. The second one is gifts from the Son. Did you know that Jesus gives gifts? So Jesus' gifts are this, Ephesians 4.11. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Now, I want you to notice fivefold ministry. You remember the apostle Peter said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? That's the fivefold ministry is the hand of God. If you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, God will exalt you in due season, okay? But you have to be humble and under authority. 
How many knows you will never be entrusted with authority from God if you can't submit to authority? That's just the way it is. So the fivefold ministry, so the Father has given those gifts I've mentioned. Now this is the gift of the, from the Son to his people because he knows that we need this. And so what, what is the purpose of the fivefold ministry? Well, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service and for the building up of the body of Christ until we all come to unity in the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God and to a complete man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. We are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or trickery of men. How many of that said under my teaching for a little while, you're now beginning to question some things and you're not going to be so easily duped by some false teaching or some false so-called prophecies and things like that. Amen? You hear what I'm saying? That's my job. Is to teach you that you're not just tossed to and fro by every goofy thing that you hear out there. That you're established in sound doctrine. You know what you believe. And if somebody comes in and teaches something that's contrary to sound doctrine, then you know that it's contrary. But 15 says, but speaking the truth in love, we may all grow up in all things in him who is the head Christ himself, from whom the whole body is joined together and connected by every joint and ligament as every part effectively does its work, grows and building itself up in love. So Paul used the example in the Corinthians about giftings and things. He said, you know, not everybody's an eyeball. Somebody's got to be a foot. Somebody's got to be a hand. Well, see, the fivefold ministry is for the equipping to help bring all of that together to where we're able to work in unity and do what God's called us to do. But we're built up. We're established in what we need to know out of the word and the things of the spirit brought to maturity. And so let me just explain the fivefold ministry in a nutshell. This is extremely simplistic here, but somebody that's apostolic will be have like a special calling, a special sending out. But a lot of times apostolic is not released into that until there's a certain time for it. You can see that in people's lives. They may have the calling from birth, but there'll come a certain point in time when the Lord says, now it's time for you to be released into that. But apostolic is there's a special sending, usually a special message, a witness of the resurrection in the Bible, fathering. Apostolic is very fathering, meaning this. It's one thing to be a teacher, but it's another thing for God to reproduce through you what you have with God is reproduced in other people. That's actually more fathering. Does that make sense? Your spiritual DNA is reproduced in other people. Apostolic people will pioneer. They will open up new works. They will also build a dwelling place for God's presence. And there will be signs and wonders, healings and deliverances, etc., that will follow their ministry. Also now, a prophet. A prophet will be used powerful to get revelation. It's very simple. So a prophet, there's all three of these, the gift of the Father, the gift of the Son, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. All three mention prophecy. It's the only gift really that all three are mentioned. But that's because prophecy is God speaking through us and he can speak through us as his people. But a prophet that has that fivefold ministry, that office, if they're a true prophet, there are false prophets out there, guys. The Bible says so, okay? But if they're a true prophet, then they will truly see things and hear things. So in the Bible, somebody that saw things was called a seer. You remember reading that? S-E-E-R. They would see things. They would see visions. I think about Ezekiel. You remember how God would just show him stuff? I mean, he saw the valley of dry bones. He was a seer. He would see things. But then a prophet that's not a seer will hear things. And God will speak to them. So the prophet, a true prophet, will get revelation from the Lord, powerful revelation. But if they are a true prophet, 
then their revelation is going to be accurate, but it's also going to be revelation that exposes sin and calls people to repentance like John the Baptist. You hear what I'm saying? If they're a true prophet, they're going to be used to expose the devil's schemes and maybe give strategy for victory over the devil. It's not just some feel-good thing, but true prophets are powerful. And whenever they prophesy, there is an authority in it. I may have felt that with Brother Benny when he comes. He walks in that. That's his primary gifting and calling. He's a prophet. But he brings the word of the Lord, and I've never known him to not be accurate all these years. Spot on. And when he gives a word, there's an authority in it. See, God releases. The Bible says God sends his word and heals. That's why there's times that Brother Benny said, you know, God's healing somebody of such and such. And it's like a prophecy or a word of knowledge and it comes out, but then that person is healed and we've had testimonies of healings because of the word of the Lord. God sends his word and heals. So that's a prophet in a nutshell. Then you have a teacher. A teacher, if they're a true fivefold office teacher, they will have a love for God's word. They love the word. They can be very tedious because they're line upon line. They, they notice details that you and I may not necessarily notice sometimes. They pick up on things. They're, they're very detail-oriented. They want to study things out. Like, for example, if you, if you take, you know, some kids like to do this. You get them a toy, and they like to take it apart and see how it works. <laughs> And then they'll put it back together. Hopefully it works when they put it back, right? Well, a teacher, they, they're kind of that way with the Bible. They, okay, well, I know that this is truth, and then they want to dissect it. Why is it truth? How, is, how does this? And they'll, they'll go through all the different Old, Old New Testament. They'll bring things together, and, they, and they're studying the Word to understand the depth of it. And so a teacher loves the Word, and they will impart a love for the Word in their people. But they also will establish sound doctrine. That's why they're so important. Because we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And the teacher is used to help bring that in. Because I'm going to tell you, that is one area where the devil wants to get some of his false teachers in there. Because he wants to confuse you. So true teachers will establish you in truth. So that when false teaching comes, you know that's not real that's not true all right and then the pastor a pastor is a shepherd and that's actually what the greek word means shepherding and the first thing when i think of a shepherd is two things protect the sheep and feed the sheep And I think that those that have been with me very long know that I don't put up with any funny business. I've, I've seen some people come through here that I love them. God bless them. We've had some of the weirdest people, I think, that have been born on this planet come through here. And I've had to deal with some stuff I shouldn't have had to deal with. But anyway, and I've had, to, I've had to protect this place, and I've had to ask some people to leave and all that. You know, it's not fun, but it just is part of the job. But a shepherd will protect the sheep from the wolves. And there are wolves out there, let me tell you. There are predators out there. You'd be surprised at some of the people why they go to church. I ran off a guy years ago because he was here, two different guys, two different times. They were here to get a woman, and, and I'm talking about in bed. That's why they were here, to get a woman. Man, I'm not going to get into it, but trust me, they were gone when I got done with them. I said, you, you're not here for the right reasons, and you are no longer going to be coming here. And I kicked them out. Look, you got to protect the sheep. Amen. So shepherds protect the sheep and also feed the sheep. A shepherd many times, you know, I've seen these gifts are, they'll usually be more than one gifting. So somebody may be a prophet, but also may have the gift of being a teacher. And that's a really good combination, a pastor and a teacher. But let me tell you this, though, before I move on. There are some people that are genuine prophets. They really are. But they are not teachers. They do not have that gift. 
and they do not necessarily have good doctrine. They get things from the Lord, but they try to do too much teaching and they don't know what they're talking about. And they've confused people. So stay within my point, stay within your gifting. If you're a prophet, then give what God showed you and leave it alone. The Bible says judge prophecy. Let the teachers teach, amen? So pastoring and teaching go well together and you can have more than one gifting. I've known some pastors that were great pastors. They were not teachers, but they also had a gift of evangelism and they did really well at street witnessing and things like that and they were great pastors. So there's different giftings. So the pastor is one of the jobs is to do your best to teach and equip. And the Bible says, Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So we, how many knows we need to have a heart for souls? Even if you're not a real legit fivefold ministry evangelist, God has still called all of us to go ye into the world and preach the gospel. All of us are called to be a witness, okay? And uh, obviously a pastor will oversee the local church. Now, what about an evangelist? Evangelist is probably the most easy to explain what it is. It's a soul winner. Steve Hill was an epic evangelist, if I can say it that way, an amazing. Reinhard Bonnke was a great evangelist. But an evangelist will have, listen to what I'm saying here, a true evangelist will have a burden for souls. And they will impart to you a burden for souls. And they will have a burden that will compel them to get out there and win souls. Now, I've known people that call themselves an evangelist. I'm not saying this critically, but just because you travel from church to church and preach, that's an itinerant minister. Nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. But it doesn't make you an evangelist. An evangelist is winning souls. I think that confuses people sometimes because they're... They're, those people are not necessarily winning souls. They're, they may not be an evangelist. They may be a prophet that travels. So the fivefold ministry, and we need its influence in the church. There's different um, fivefold ministry giftings at work here apostolic, prophetic, pastoring, teaching, evangelistic. I have certain types of people come in and minister here. But the goal is to have the influence of the fivefold ministry to equip us and bring us to maturity, unity that every joint supplying, that we're all doing what we're called to do. So the Father has given us gifts, and the Son has given the body of Christ gifts. And finally, the Holy Spirit. How many love and appreciate the Holy Spirit? Where would we be today without the precious Holy Spirit in our lives? I'm so thankful for him. So the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that, Je here's the interesting thing, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. So when you accept Christ as your Savior and you put your faith in him and you're born again, what it means to be born again is that what that means is the Holy Spirit has come in you is there is no new birth without the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's what it actually means, okay? So the Holy Spirit, he comes in you. And the Bible uses all these different terms. The candle of the Lord is lit. The, the seed of God is in you, etc., etc. The circumcision of the heart. The writing of God's word on the tablet of your heart. All these different terminologies and phases, but, or, or phrases rather, but what it represents is this. All of it speaks of one thing the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And when he comes in us, we are a new creation. We may still be as flawed as you could imagine. We're a baby Christian. We're, we've got a lot to learn. We're far from perfect, but the Holy Spirit is in you. And he's gonna start convicting you of sin. He's gonna start dealing with you. How many have felt the Holy Spirit dealing with you? Thank God for that. What if the Holy Spirit just left? I may have ever thought, you know, maybe I, I should thank the Holy Spirit for not giving up on me, even though I was a difficult, annoying person sometimes. And thankfully, he's not one that's easily annoyed. How many knows the fruit of the Spirit is patience is one of them, right? He is so patient with us. 
But the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to begin to convict us of sin. He's, he's, he puts a holy fear of God in us. He's going to begin to teach us the Bible. You know why? You can get a baby Christian, somebody that's very young in the Lord, and they will begin to understand the scriptures. I mean, you remember when you began to, but you can get some atheist college professor that's got all these degrees. He's, a, he's got a PhD and all this. And sometimes he can't even understand the babiest, simplest things in the Bible. You know why? Because he may be brilliant in his intellect, his IQ, but when it comes to spirituality, he's not very bright. You know why? Because it takes the Holy Spirit. Unless you humble yourself as a child, the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us understanding. In fact, you can read this for yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about how the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. So they're in conflict many times. Anyway, so the Holy Spirit, he'll begin to teach us the Bible. He'll begin to help us learn how to pray. The Holy Spirit, he is so awesome and so important in our lives. The Bible talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who, if you could say it this way, baptizes us into Christ. He makes us a new creation. But then it says Jesus will take you and he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. So Jesus is the baptizer. But what that means is that after your salvation experience, there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit fills you and clothes you with power. Now, that's the important part because the clothing of power. See, Jesus had raised from the dead. Let me show it to you this way. He, he told them, I must suffer and all these things, and they didn't really understand. Jesus dies on the cross, raises from the dead, appears to them, and guess what? Now they believe. Does everybody understand? They believe in him. They believe he died for them. They believe in the resurrection. I mean, he's standing right there. And so Jesus then blows on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. You know what that was? That was their new birth. They couldn't be born again before that because Jesus hadn't died on the cross. They had the Holy Spirit all around them through Jesus' whole ministry. I'm sure they felt him. He was all around them. But now after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit would live inside them. That was their new birth. But after their new birth, Jesus said, go wait in Jerusalem until what? You're clothed with power. There's the difference. They already had the Holy Spirit inside of them. But Jesus knew there was the promise of the Spirit to be clothed with power. And he said, don't start your ministry, if I could paraphrase, until you're clothed with power. So they go and they seek the Lord for 10 days or in the upper room praying. We know the Holy Spirit came. Now, when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, there is a clothing of power and there's going to be tongues that are there, but that is your personal prayer language. How many have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and tongues begin to flow in your life? Amen. And let me just say this. I grew up Pentecostal and so I'm familiar with this doctrine, but we need to be careful that we teach people correctly about this. The Holy Spirit, there's a couple things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it is received by faith. And let me explain what I mean. I don't try to make somebody pray in tongues and then if they don't, tell them you didn't get it. I don't do that. Because, let me tell you why, because there's some Pentecostals go, oh, wait a second, well, let me finish. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13, we receive the Spirit by faith. If somebody wants the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'll pray with them, and I believe by faith that it's right there. And I've, I've seen a lot of people baptize the Holy Spirit. I mean, but they have to receive it by faith. And I'll tell you a true story. A young lady had got prayer. She was hit by the power of God, and, and we were praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Other people spoke in tongues right then. She, she got touched by God powerfully, and I felt baptized in the Holy Spirit, but she didn't speak in tongues right then. But she told me this story. She said, I think it was a week, maybe two weeks later, she said she was on an airplane 
going to visit her folks had a, a CD and she was listening to some worship and out of nowhere she just began to cry and she felt the power of God and all of a sudden tongues just started coming out of her on the airplane but see she received it when we prayed together you see it just didn't fully manifest in her life until a little bit later so things are received by faith so just remember that story because I think that sometimes Pentecostals do a disservice by telling somebody you didn't get something because you didn't do something right now that's not necessarily true and another thing not that people do this but I don't try to um, get people to teach them how to speak in tongues or something like that that can get really weird so if it's either God doing it or he's not but let me tell you this though in Acts chapter 2 you read it for yourself it says they spoke as the Holy Spirit enabled them everybody say they spoke I think some people think the Holy Spirit is just gonna like take over like a robot pry their mouth open and flap their tongue for them I really do I think people are sitting there going well God will just make it happen but you need to open your mouth because God will fill it does that make sense you cooperate with the Holy Spirit if you're sitting there like this you know with your mouth shut I mean you're probably not nothing gonna happen man oh let God flow through you open your mouth they spoke as the Holy Spirit enabled and I tell people I pray with them and and they're you know either you have faith for it or you don't and I tell them say look it's there it's available start speaking out what God gives you open your mouth start speaking what God gives you it may just be like one syllable ta 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 or something simple like that but how many knows when little kids learn to speak they're not giving you paragraphs right so this is a baby step here your little syllable may sound very simplistic but if you'll keep using it that language will develop and how many also have had this awesome experience because I just thought of this with, with Ed tell me how many have had for a while you had a certain dialect in your prayer language and then one day it changed how many have had that wave at me somebody else I've had that a couple times and you know Rodney Hart Brown taught me this and I believe this is true is I always wondered what does that mean and Rodney said I'll tell you what it means you're going to a whole new level in a new season in your life wow isn't that awesome so there's there's a prayer language that comes so the baptism in the Holy Spirit you're gonna have a personal prayer language and we need that Apostle Paul said I speak in tongues more than you all we need it so there's a difference between being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues then there is the gift of a message in tongues and that's what a lot of people don't understand so there's critics out there of the gifts and the baptism but I would submit to you that most of them have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and they've never experienced anything and they don't understand it does that make sense if you don't understand something a lot of times people are critical of it because they don't understand so you have a prayer language but when God has used me I mean I pray in tongues every day but when God has used me to give a message in tongues it has a beginning it has an ending and usually it's well as far back as I can remember it's always a very different dialect than my actual prayer language which is really interesting all of a sudden this message in tongues comes totally different dialect has a beginning has an ending and then there needs to be an interpretation for that message and we need that and people are real critical of tongues but I'll tell you why because the devil hates them that's why and some say well it will offend so-and-so well it might it might not I'm not really worried about that what I would say to them is this doesn't the Bible say tongues is a sign for the unbeliever it says those words so why are we thinking that it's gonna offend the unbeliever and go hide him in a back room when the Bible says it's a sign to the unbeliever and I'm going to tell you, I've seen tongues used powerfully. I read, I told you this story recently anyway. You remember me telling you about the tongues at Azusa? There was a Jewish man came there. And some lady in the upper room area, they would pray and seek God for the Baptist Holy Spirit. Some lady came down the steps. 
And she begins to speak with authority in tongues. And it jolted this man who was a Jew because she was speaking in perfect Hebrew. And was telling him things in that language. And he said to her, are you Jewish? How did you learn Hebrew? And she said, I didn't even know I was speaking Hebrew. He gives his life to Jesus at the Azusa Street Revival because of that experience. It's a sign to the unbeliever. And I've seen other times. There was one time that was awesome. I was in this Pentecostal church service, and there was a, it was a large crowd there. There was a true message in tongues and interpretation that called somebody that was a backslider or whatever it exposed it in a good way and called them into salvation. And I saw somebody run down from the balcony and get saved that day. Isn't that awesome? So tongues, a message in tongues. Now, there's also a gift of interpretation. Obviously, this has to do with interpreting tongues. But I would submit to you my personal opinion. Could be wrong, but it's just my opinion. I think the gift of interpretation, if it's strong in a person might also enable them to interpret dreams and visions. Just my opinion. Do you remember reading that about Daniel and Joseph in the Bible? They had the gift from God to interpret dreams and visions. And also prophecy. Now this gift of the spirit of prophecy, somebody that's a true prophet, the fivefold ministry, they'll operate very powerfully in this gifting. But when prophecy hits and somebody has a gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they have a gift of prophecy. When they begin to really prophesy, you can feel it. How many knows what I'm talking about? You feel the anointing, you feel the power of God. Did you know there's an interesting scripture in the book of Hebrews which says the powers of the age to come. Have you ever wondered what those are? I submit to you, I think that they are references to these gifts of the Spirit. But when we get to the age to come, they will fade some because we won't need them. But they're the powers of the age to come, in my opinion. Then you have, those are the vocal gifts. Then you have the revelation gifts, which I've already taught on these. I'll move quickly. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning of spirits. But words of knowledge is information that you didn't know. Words of wisdom is wisdom for a situation how many have ever been in a situation where you needed god to give you some clarity a word of wisdom brings clarity discerning of spirits that gift is important and it brings revelation are we dealing with a person are we dealing with the demon are we dealing with the holy spirit is there an angelic activity the discerning of spirits will help bring clarity about what's going on and then the power gifts, the gifts of faith, healing, and the working of miracles. The gift of faith many times will work together with the gift of working of miracles because you need the gift of faith for that a lot. But the gift of faith is a supernatural faith that you don't have that the Holy Spirit will give you for that moment. And the gift of working of miracles is not just... Um, so healing is this. You pray for somebody, they're touched by God, and they start improving over time. It could be relatively quick, within a couple hours, or it could be over a couple weeks. But they begin to improve and be completely healed. That's healing. But the working of miracles is right there. For example, let's say somebody has scoliosis and their, their back is curved really bad. And somebody's praying for them with the gift of working of miracles and their spine straightens right there in front of you. That's the working of miracles. But it's not just healing. I remember this missionary, a very apostolic man, very powerful man of God, was talking about this. And he said that he desperately needed to get from where he was to the other side. And there was this rate, there was a flood that came, there was this raging river. This was a very high, deep, wide river that there was no way that his truck could cross the river. <laughs> but he knew that he had to go. And he felt led to do this by God or he wouldn't have done it. And he drove, he prayed and drove into the river. 
Now, how many knows that in, under normal circumstance, your truck is just going to get swept over and begin to tumble down the river, and you're probably going to drown and die, and that's going to be a sad end to you, right? His truck went completely under the water, drove through, and came up the other side, and he went on to the meeting. True story. Don't do that unless you hear from God. But that was a miracle. That's a working of miracles. True story. There was also, in a meeting he was talking about, they, they had a certain amount of food. They had people coming from a great distance, and they were having a gathering together there. There was a lot more people showed up than what was anticipated. They had a big pot of beans, and they had all these tortillas, and they had other food. But there was no way there was enough to feed people. And not only that, everybody else getting hungry all of a sudden? All right, anyway, so there was not enough for everybody there. But not only that, they had to make this last for a couple of days. And they, they didn't, they were not prepared for the amount of people that came. And they went in there and said, God, we need a miracle. Because this is out in a third world part of the world where you can't just go to Walmart and buy a bunch of tortillas. So they were saying, Lord, we need a miracle. We need you to bless these beans and tortillas. And this is a true story. They began to dish up all the beans, tortillas, and other food, fed everybody there, came back into the kitchen, and the big old pot of beans was still exactly where it was before. They went over and uncovered the tortillas, and the same amount of tortillas was there as before. That's a miracle working of miracles i'm just showing you that it's not just physical healings there's other types of miracles okay so the gifts of faith healing and the working of miracles these are the power gifts and the gift of healing will amp up how many people are healed when you pray for them so i want to close this out but see this teaching like i'm giving you here right now is important for the days to come but this type of teaching was what came out in the 80s revivals to help us understand the fivefold ministry, understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, understand the gifts so that we could be adequately equipped to understand who we are in Christ, understand we have authority, understand how to pray effectively. We needed that teaching, and I thank God for it. So, Lord, as we close down this time, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we're going to be praying for people, I just thank you for hearing it and the prayers over this time of the word, the outworking of this in the lives of people. And Lord, I thank you for moving in power during this altar time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.